The reality is is now on Patreon, and here are some of our fabulous supporters. Chastity Davis. Don't be fooled by my name. The only thing I abstain from is your bullshit. Jessica Riley. Where I come from, money can buy you anything, but I'll take the garbage plate. Seiran Hayati. In Sweden, we have ABBA, IKEA, and if you mess with me, some other four-letter words. Kelly Paper. I may be from Down Under, but don't ever underestimate me. Richie D. If you can't be cool, you can't be with Caduce. Megan Shaw. I may be a mom. Model, but I'll never be your model minority. Becca Simon. It gets icy where I'm from, so you know I'll bring the heat. Jill Hirsch. Your petty drama can't take this warrior down. Jamie Allrunner. Where I come from, we're known for our great lakes, but I'm just known for my great ass. Sarah Gibbs. You may not like the cut of my jib, but that's what you get from Sarah Gibbs. Maria M. Where I'm from, they sing God Save the Queen, so I guess you can call me a god. Jill Walsh. I made it up this hill myself, and I'll kick any jack off. Jesse Willis. I may not run in traffic, but I'll give you a run for your money. Eleanor Manning. I run with a fabulous circle of people, and they're not even on my payroll. John Friedman. Diamonds aren't a girl's best friend. John Friedman is. Sarah Watkins Bilstein. Playtime is over. This mama means business. Laura Zielinski. Whether it's breast pumping or fist pumping, this Jersey girl brings the party. Amanda Agosti. Everything is bigger in Texas and my heart is no exception. Tracy Masters. When you're the master of your own destiny, no one can ever take you down. Marl Farsi. Reading is fundamental and in Farsi, the reads are monumental. Tracy Newman. My presence is a gift, so remember the thank you note. Lola Del Rio. Whatever Lola wants, Lola gets and I get it all. Adade Adidoko. It may look like I'm stirring the pot, but I'm actually just smoking. Deepa Kanapoli. Some people say I have secrets, but at least they're not federal indictments. Jada. People are intimidated by my great success and my great ass. Naveen Jonathan. I'll give you the shirt off my back and also my unsolicited opinion. Adil Ibrahim. Some things are too hot to handle, like me and the tea I spill. Trinity Subramaniam. I have four degrees and eight syllables and zero fucks to give. Beth Bayer. The secret to my success is staying out of your BS. Shannon Anthony. There's no fun in moderation, but there's plenty of shame. Rita Ryan. Don't be fooled by my Midwest charm, because I'm nobody's fool. Brianna Tony. Some people strive for perfection, but I'm already there. And lastly, Tanisha. While others are turning tables, I'm dancing on them. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to another episode of The Reality Is. Um, today, I'm really excited because I'm joined by a guest. It's not me solo podcasting. It is friend of the pod, but actually now my friend too, because we have met IRL. <laughs> um, it is our friend, Maya Han. Um, Maya, I was just going to use your first name, but then I realized people might think that you're the one from Summer House with the Cookies. Oh, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> For the positives and negatives, um, I'm not. Negatives only being that I did not hold up all of your cookies. Yeah. Um, 
you don't owe anybody cookies. So that's no. Good. Yeah. No, also, I'm not. Also, I'm also not a great baker, so I you wouldn't need to wait months for my cookies. I can't bake. I don't do recipes, so I don't bake, <laughs> and I don't do math, so I don't bake. <laughs> that you know, it. I like the. I am. A, I think I'm a great cook, but I yeah. am a work in progress as a baker, and a lot of it is just like, oh, like. I feel like I like the order of putting things in like you tell me to, but then maybe I'm not good at science because why doesn't it come out the way it's supposed to? This so, is the problem for me. Yeah. That's why. I, it's getting better, but um, I would much rather like cook you a pasta than make you a cake. Yeah. Like I can make a sauce from scratch, no problem. Mm-hmm. Right. But mm-hmm. like baking a cake, I know that I'm going to forget when or how I should have put in the baking powder or soda or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> or which one or both or I, yeah I have no instincts for it like yeah my cooking instincts are great yes um, this is which- I I like my introduction to your pod and your audience just like telling people what I'm great at um, <laughs> but also recognizing my flaws <laughs> very honest and also if you listen to everyone's business but mine you are a frequent guest there and you're a good friend of Cara Berries. so any good friend of Cara Berries is a good friend of the reality is so yes she yeah. is amazing. And, yes. um, you know, I, I love I love both pods and I'm extremely happy to be to be joining this one today. Yes. So today we're going to talk about the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills and the Real Housewives of Dubai. And um, this week's episodes were interesting, um, <laughs> maddening, perhaps. But before we get into that, we always ask our new guests, who is your problematic favorite? I have a easy answer to this actually it's Dorinda um I absolutely love Dorinda and um I mean I think it was like really only like midway through the last season that she was on New York that I had to finally admit to myself like this isn't great Maya like you have to you have to acknowledge that like it was the turkey baster comment that but even uh, then yeah. I was like I still love Dorinda but like I have to admit that was bad and yeah. I admitted to myself that it was bad and so since then it was like you know I just like there's something about her that I find really like magical and enchanting but like she needed yeah. to do some work on herself and I'm hopeful that she has though every once in a while like her social media makes me makes me question the depth of the self-reflection that she has done Mm-hmm. Um, but I have to say that I'm like very excited to see her on our screens soon, very soon, in fact, um, with Girls Trip 2. And more excited to see her than many of the others that are joining that cast. Um, yeah, yeah. Because I, I at least am glad that, um, you know, I think Dorinda has kept some of her, uh, as soon as I was about to say, like, Dorinda has kept, like, racially and um, other kind of more serious problematic behaviors to a minimum. I like immediately flash back to her first season when she misidentified the man in the restaurant as working in the restaurant. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. again, problematic fave. I, yeah, that's yeah. that's where I am with that one. Mm-hmm. I'm excited for her to yell at Vicky about vaccines. That's so it. That's, exactly. that's that's great. You know, I. I love Dorinda. Dorinda is actually up there for me. I think currently, no, well, currently my problematic favorite is Candace Dillard Bassett, but (laughs) (laughs) I'm not a Candace person, but I respect and understand. I understand very much the, 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 
the positive feelings behind Candace from I I understand and recognize it and if anything I'm a little bit like maybe I should be more um maybe I should kind of look at things that way a little bit more instead of I get tripped up by kind of she's a monster she's a teeny tiny menace yeah it's nuts yeah I call her a little baby twirl because to me she reminds me a lot of Kenya Mm -hmm. um because she's just like ready to fight the defense is always up because they both have mama issues and so I feel like it's a lot of that. They're both pageant girlies. You know, it's a lot of that kind of stuff. But Dorinda was a longtime problematic favorite of mine. And Lisa Rinna. I used to, anytime anybody, Ooh. anytime anybody talks shit about Lisa Rinna, I would just like on Facebook, on like the, our like Bravo groups, I would <laughs> always comment saying Lisa Rinna forever. Because I just thought she was such a, she's such a hilarious agent of chaos. But now she's just, fu- and, but ever since she did Denise Dirty, I was like, mm. no, we can't. Yeah, you know, Lisa Rinna is interesting because I have disliked her now for long enough. And kind yeah. of earlier on, um, I think, I, you know, as an OG Rinna hater. Not really, though. I liked her at the beginning, and I just can't quite remember the exact turning point that I had with her. Um, I want to say it was around the Kim, the Kim season because mm. um, I, I think it was, like, but I, you know, I don't want to, now I'm, I'm looking back totally with hindsight and trying to kind of, and applying my current feelings on Rinna to past Rinna and, you know, critiques that one could be made of her then. But I think even at that time, I was willing to kind of like understand how she had a really necessary role within the show. Yeah. Um, I think that argument is harder to make and harder for me to understand um, since the Denise season. I mean, I would have made that argument even in like the takedown of LVP, but yes. I think that Rena has really now um, taken for me a space that is like way beyond expiration. And yes. I don't think there's any coming back from it. Um, and yeah. it's been since Denise. Yeah. I think Lisa Rena was an essential player when it was Lisa Vanderpump's behind the camera meddling and producing and everybody was afraid to go against her. So it was always like Lisa Vanderpump and then everybody kind of just falling into play with her and what she had going on and Kyle just having a lot of anxiety and there's a lot of tension there. Lisa Renault was great because she was the only one that was ready to be like, no, I'm not going to listen to Lisa Vanderpump or I'm going to throw Lisa Vanderpump under the bus or I'm going to do some crazy batshit shit and and do whatever, right? So I think I think Lisa Rinna was important at that time. I think after LVP left, Lisa Rinna isn't breaking the mold of what everybody else is doing. It was always exactly. fun when Lisa Rinna was a wild card and always going to do something completely different than what the plan was for that season. Now, Lisa Rinna is just an agent of stupidity. She used to be an agent of chaos, but now she's yep. just an agent of my shitty friend uh, Kyle has a bad idea and I'm going to go with that bad, bad idea and I'm never going to back down. And that's not fun. No, it's really not. I think that's exactly that's exactly right. And it's interesting because like I um, kind of in the previous seasons and where things fell in Beverly Hills, I pretty much found myself always on Lisa Vanderpump's side. Like I, but in a, in a way of like, not because I thought that she was right. Not because I didn't think that she was doing like 
her behind-the-scenes machinations. But just because I liked LVP, I just, you know, I made the conscious choice to align myself on that side in most of those situations. It's the um, angle feels in both of us. It's the it's the um, South Asian yes. <laughs> yes. muscle 100%. memory of being like, a queen? All right. Yeah, I'll listen to her. I don't know yeah, why. exactly. She's <laughs> like, oh, man. I mean, she, uh, you know, whatever the colonizers say, we got to do, right? Like, <laughs> just... Um, there's um, there's definitely an aspect of like anglophilia to it for sure 100 percent. but also like you know I think um Kyle's like throwing the rock and hiding the hand not to say that Lisa didn't do that Mm -hmm. but I think like Kyle's particular brand of like um victimhood and hiding and, and like really like trying to obscure her own duplicity has has really gotten to me since Kyle's second season and I remember that as being like I loved Kyle her first season and the second season I just was like wow what was I like what did I see in her and it was (laughs) such a turnaround for me and since then I have just not like Kyle has really like pushed that button for me and I think that's frankly, why I fell on Lisa Vanderpump's side a lot of times, because it was really like Kyle versus LVP, even when it was just an undercurrent and when they even seemed to, you know, ostensibly be on the same side. Um, And I think that now that that duality of Lisa Vanderpump versus Kyle and like how the different women fall in around that dynamic um, and sometimes kind of, I don't know, there were times when you could tell that the undercurrent was LVP versus Kyle, even though LVP and Kyle were presenting themselves on the same side Mm -hmm. and the other women would kind of be criticizing that. Um, Now that that dynamic is gone, um, it's just, you know, Kyle and the cronies and everybody else. And um, I think we are finally starting to see that shifting this season, but still it's so much in flux that for me, um, Right now, it's a tough watch. It's a yeah. really tough watch. Um, and I will admit to you that I had watched the premiere and then kind of like sat back for the last few episodes, had listened to recaps, had kind of followed along with what was going on, yeah. but only only watched the episodes when um, you asked if I'd be on for the, for the episode today. <laughs> so I was like, all right, I will do it. I'll pony up. I'll watch them. But right now, for me, I think this is going to be a, a, a difficult season. <laughs> Yeah, I'm excited for the shift that we're seeing. Kyle is no longer in the driver's seat. She still thinks she is, but she's actually not. It's definitely Garcelle. Like, Garcelle has managed to make this entire season so far about Sutton, Crystal, and herself. Mm -hmm. And Kyle is not really in charge anymore. I mean, if we didn't have Dorit getting robbed, I'm not sure, and obviously Lois passing, like, I'm not sure if we'd either, even get that much information about the Fox 4 flop. Like, there was a scene this episode, and let's just get into the episode. There's a scene mm-hmm. this episode where Dorit and Erica go to get lunch. and Oh, yeah. And they just talk about, you know, Lois passing. And then I have to say, Erica looks, she looks poor, mama. She's, she looks, she's looking weird. I think it's something about the flatness of the hair and like the way that the eyes are being made up. 
it looks it it looks like two dimensional in a strange way to me. It, there used to be this thing about Erica very early on, and, and I, I guess it just this is something that you lose when you lose your money. But Erica <laughs> used to walk into scenes, and I, and I found it very annoying. But she used to walk into scenes very upright. She would always mm, sit upright, mm-hmm. and she would always have this like great posture and sort of. She literally sat with her nose up in the air at people. And it was funny to watch her walk into this restaurant with Dorit and do this thing that like I do with my friends, which is like my hands are on my pockets and I'm hunched over. I'm like, hey, girl, you're here too? Like she did one of those. And I was like, what in the poor are you doing? Do not behave like me. Like that's not what I'm trying to watch. But even her jean jacket and her little like polyester dress, I was like, I think I own those clothes. Like- why why yeah. is Erica looking so poor? I mean, we know the answer. It's because she is. But even that scene of Dorit and her going to lunch, it was a non-scene. They spent a good amount of time ordering food. And like they had to even put in the fact that the kitchen was closing. I always notice stuff like that when they put Oh, in- I noticed that too. Yeah. I'm like, oh, it's because you guys just have to give them a little bit of camera time, but there's not actually anything of substance here to even cover. I'm with you. I think they came in probably expecting to rehash the Sutton and Erica dynamic. Um, yes. I think Dorit was probably going to lean on having made up with Garcelle, but did she really? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, they were, for frankly, like kind of, given some circumstances that they could rely on to milk for more scenes. Um, and I don't mean, I don't say milk in the way of denigrating the seriousness of either the robbery or Lois's passing, but I think, you know, it's undeniable to say that they didn't like use those things for, you know, additional time on camera. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, but I, I think you're right. I think that um, there is an, quality to Kyle that really for me has come out in the last two episodes especially like it feels like she's scrambling a little more oh yeah um I think she is I think she's very affected by fan um audience reaction every season and I think that last season especially she was really pissed off um Mm -hmm. about it and to have gotten so much negative fan feedback particularly in kind of how she threw Sutton under the bus, like the way that she um, handled the stuff with Garcelle, you know, ahead of the apology at the beginning of last season. Um, And I think that she is coming off as much more flustered and defensive on camera as she usually does. And a lot of it has to do with, you know, exactly what you said. She's losing her, her place. Yes, for sure. Um, I think that I think this episode. So one of the moments that Kyle has. So this, the open that episode opened up with Garcelle buying a beach house. There's a Jurassic Park. Jurassic is it Jurassic Park? Yeah, Jurassic King's Dominion or whatever the hell it's called. <laughs> Jurassic Park De- Dominion. I think <laughs> Jurassic World Dominion. I shouldn't have said that so sassy. King's that Dominion is a theme park <laughs> in the DMV area. It is. And that's it all is. I think of when I think when I see Dominion. Anyway, there's a logo on the side and it's blocking my view and I hate it. Like I have too much ADHD to for you guys to throw something like that up there and then me not wonder about that the whole time. Okay. But anyway, they have uh Kyle and Crystal go to lunch. You can really tell that Kyle came into that conversation almost like building up a script in her head and knowing that her her 
only purpose of that lunch was to sit Crystal down and essentially bully her into telling Kyle what Sutton said. And when Crystal stone face, she, she, okay, Crystal Asian moms her because that is an Asian mom move. <laughs> like when you sit and try to like argue with your parent and your parent just stares at you like, you're a fucking idiot. Don't even try me. Like, that is what Crystal was giving to me. And when she hits Kyle with that, you can literally see Kyle's face turn and she starts to say stuff like, you know, it's really dangerous. This is yep. really bad. Like, it's yep. really, really bad. And like, Crystal's like, yep, okay, you're right. Lesson learned. That's it. Like, and Kyle is getting worked up the more and more Crystal doesn't give Kyle what she's looking for. And it's not until Kyle says, you know, it's gaslighting. Crystal, all she does is she kind of like gasps and says, you think that's gaslighting? And Kyle's like, yeah, are you going to be dramatic about it, Crystal? It's like she had already thought that up in I her mean, head. as if as if Kyle had just not used like, you know – gaslighting like dangerous like yes. as if Kyle had not like attempted very like clearly to ratchet up the you know the dialogue between them to kind of increase their own like feelings around each other like it, it I I wonder when I see scenes like that um like many other moments in my life I look at it and I wonder like I wonder how um white people see these moments um, yeah, because when I saw that, I was like, oh, this is like this is a particular type of like weaponizing of Kyle's feelings that she's gearing herself up for. Yep. And she's unleashing them on Crystal in a way that I think it has very much to do with Kyle's whiteness as well. Yeah, I guess is, is maybe the best way I can articulate that particular yeah. moment. Yeah, I think that it has a lot to do with Kyle being a white woman of privilege who is used to being able to take over a, a discussion with her feelings. You know, Crystal says, that's fine, lesson learned, but you have to stop telling me. You have to stop, like, trying to take over my feelings or whatever. She says something along those lines, and Kyle yeah. is like, okay, but you have to be, you know, um, conscious of other people's feelings too. And it's like Kyle lives in a world where her feelings are the priority and her feelings are usually the focus, and she's not used to at all another person coming in and giving her a new perspective because she's used to being the alpha in the room. And, you know, it's possible that Crystal is also used to that to some degree because she is off the charts wealthy. She has that Lion King money. So it's possible that it's a, it's it's actually two people who have their feelings – have always been the center of attention coming at each other and essentially playing like almost like um, what's that chicken. Yeah. They're playing chicken oh, with yeah. each other. Right. Yeah. And the great thing about this pairing is crystal doesn't crack. Kyle cracks. Yeah. And that it, to me absolutely. is entertaining. Watching Kyle crack is always funny to me. Cause I'm like, you're an yes. idiot. Yeah, you know? totally. And I think also part of it is like, Kyle is also very used to doing exactly this dance on camera yeah and most of the time the person that she's going up against doesn't give her the nothing that crystal gives her in return yep. frankly I, I mean really thinking back on it the only other person that used to give kyle that same kind of coldness and response was lisa vanderpump yeah and that used to wind kyle up to hell which yes. is one of the reasons i love their dynamic because you know lisa could just like ice her and Kyle would melt down into 
like just a a breakdown most of the time. And she hasn't had to deal with that kind of energy in a while. And she definitely broke, um, I think in the conversation with Crystal, she was really grappling in my, in my view. And the reason I said like, you know, I, I want to, I wonder how, you know, white people see this is because for me, it just seemed like such an obvious like attempt to weaponize her, you know, victimhood and privilege. And, you know, I I don't know, obviously, how others might read that and and kind of the way that they read Crystal's, um, you know, response and and the Asian momness of her response as well. Yeah. Um, Yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's a dynamic that I think for me over the course of the episode, it got like a lot more difficult to take in and left me feeling a lot more like angry and disheartened than I was at the beginning when I was like, okay, this is interesting. I'm enjoying seeing this play out, but um, you know, obviously we'll talk about that, that evolution. Yeah. So then later we see Garcelle go to dinner with Sutton and Chelsea from Ono Chelsea, formerly Ono Bravo. I was just talking to her yesterday and she pointed out to me that Sutton is actually like sauced this entire episode. Mm. She is a little bit drunk. She's coming. She's obviously upset about whatever this thing is, this conversation that is coming up from last year. And you can tell that she's coming into scenes and coming into filming already kind of lubricated, if you will, um, because she is worried about what is going to come out. And I always say Sutton to me is Kathy from the comic strips. Like she's always like on the verge of act. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) She's always, she's a mixture of me. For me, she's a mixture of Kathy from the comic strips and Mary Catherine Gallagher. But both of those characters mashed together and played by Emma Stone. That is what she reminds me of. Let's everybody paint that picture. (laughs) Tell me that that's not accurate. Okay. And like, That's what, and you could tell that Sutton is trying to like keep it together, but she's just barely keeping it together. But they go to this dinner and Sutton tells Garcelle that she and Crystal had squashed it. So she's confused about why this is even coming up. Now, this is where I get annoyed with Garcelle because I'm like, Garcelle, you didn't bring up why Crystal brought this up. You You are purposely eliminating the source of this particular conversation the the catalyst for this particular conversation it is because you could you had accused crystal of setting up sutton even though sutton and crystal are now completely past it and they're in a good place now crystal um sutton says that she thinks that it could possibly be this one conversation about talking about her kids being in the pool with other types of children and garcelle says that it couldn't be that and she cannot move on because it couldn't be something like that because that seems pretty benign compared to the way that Crystal was bringing it up. And again, Sutton kind of is looking at her like, I don't know why we keep talking about this because we've moved on. And I I have to ask again, why are we talking about something that the two people that are involved in this conflict don't actually care about? Why are we making a mountain out of this molehill when the molehill has been squashed for at least a year at this point? I mean, there is a normal answer and there is the answer that might explain why it's happening on the show, which is that, you know, um, the Fox Force 4 are eager for a wedge to drive in between Crystal and Sutton, who have the capacity 
um, not only to really like make their time on their, you know, season on the show more difficult by kind of banning against them, but also have more audience backing to them generally. And splitting them up does exactly what happened this week on the internet or like the last few weeks on the internet. It divides yep. the audience against them. Yep. Um, and makes them both like weaker players on the show. Yep. And, um, you know, I hate to be all like Game of Thronesy about it, but like, that's yes. actually like, this is very much what's going on in my view, at least like very much what's going on in their heads. Like the Beverly Chaos Hills is a cast, ladder. Absolutely. And like more than most, I think like the Beverly Hills cast are tuned in to the like fan internet response um, mm-hmm. and how to attempt to use that to their advantage or where it's not able to use it to their own advantage, how to at least like weaponize it against somebody else. Yeah. So later on, they go to Mexico. Wait, actually, before we talk about them, actually, no, actually, let's do it. They go to Mexico. Uh, everybody's a glam, 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 PJ, PJ, PJ. Everyone's very sweet about Lois passing. Well, the Lois passing stuff was like legit really sad. And I have to say, it's the only time I see Lisa Renna being an actual human being and not like a soap opera star is when she's talking about her mom. Like when she's crying in the confessional about her mom passing and about having that moment of, her daughter is there with her mother, like, and the hospice and not being able to resuscitate her and all those things. I was like, oh, that's, that's a human being. Everything else that we see on the show, you are like a crazy, um, like a soap opera bot. But I appreciated seeing Lisa Rinna in that capacity. And I, I wish that she would act like a human being more, honestly. Lois seemed like a really lovely person from every moment that we've ever seen her on the show. Yes, agreed. Um, Now, everybody goes to Mexico on Diana's private jet. I was horrified to see these women clapping when they land. Are you a a clapper when you land? No, I'm not a clapper (laughs) when I land. I'm not a clapper at movies, except, um, you know, if I'm maybe a little sauced at the end of a movie, I might clap. (laughs) Um, I say this because I just flashed to a moment only a couple of weeks ago when, you know, I went to see Top Gun and, (laughs) you know, was a little bit drunk, surrounded by 40-year-old men who were cheering on the movie. Like, yeah, I clapped at the end. That's different. And I'm really, like, I'm really brave for admitting that. Yeah. Clap if you're a maverick, too. Um... (laughs) So, so everybody gets there. They're all setting up their spaces. Um, what do you think about Diana Jenkins? <laughs> I'm interested to see where she goes in the show. Um, yeah. I am, you know, so to some extent I'm withholding judgment. I yeah. also think that, like, it's very clear that she's coming in with, like, you know, predetermined notions of people. She... Um, it's interesting because like she's theoretically coming in as a crystal ally, but she's yeah. not actually operating as one. Um, yes. Maybe that will change next week. It kind of seemed like in the preview it might, but um, you know, so far she, um, it seems like she's making some moves to ingratiate herself with like the Lisa, Erica kind of side of things yeah and that annoys me I don't they don't need any more fodder they don't need more people on their side yeah I think it also makes Sutton uncomfortable to see Crystal friends with a super duper crazy wealthy person who Sutton can't really like spar with 
You know? Ooh, yeah. I think that there's yeah. a dynamic there that makes Sutton uncomfortable and makes her feel insecure in her friendship with Crystal. And especially if what Sutton is saying is true about her hearing around town that Crystal does this where she kind of collects friends and then drops a friend when a new friend comes in or whatever it, whatever mm-hmm. it was that mm-hmm. was insinuated. I think mm-hmm. Diana being there also adds to Sutton's anxiety and her place with Crystal. Because – Crystal seems like a lovely person to be friends with, but a horrible person to be in a fight with. Oh, that's absolutely spot on. And Sutton is very aware of that and very nervous about it. And she kind of, I think she said before she kind of scares her a little bit, but like, I understand Sutton's anxiety there, but they all go to dinner. Immediately, we're talking about the Sutton and Crystal thing to quote unquote, bring Rena up to speed. And uh, Sutton starts to say she doesn't want to be misconstrued because of the dark comment. Crystal is nodding. Crystal says she felt uncomfortable, but we resolved it. And then everybody's asking, well, why did you bring it up? And this is where I call bullshit on uh, Beverly Hills editors because the rest of this entire scene of everybody talking and everybody doing whatever – there's very, very little of Crystal actually talking, except for when she's super condescending to Garcelle. But mm-hmm. there's very little of Crystal actually responding to these women. So even when Erica is like, you're insinuating that Sutton is racist, do you think that Sutton is racist? They cut to Crystal and she's quiet. I don't believe for a fucking second that at, while this conversation is going on about racism, that Crystal didn't stop and say, Sutton, I don't think that you're racist. I'm just saying that what you said mm-hmm. was problematic. I just don't believe that Crystal did yeah. that. And it it even, it looked awkward and clunky. It looked like Crystal was a stone cold bitch who just sat on the side mm-hmm. and watched Sutton unravel and did nothing. And all you saw at the end was Crystal sort of putting her head down and saying, I'm sorry. Like, I don't believe yeah. that that's how the conversation actually went. You know, I, I uh, that's an interesting point I hadn't actually even thought about that I think you're right I think like they were definitely trying to kind of like the splicing together of that scene served helped serve the narrative that Crystal was kind of icy and um you know not really being direct or clear um I think when I first saw it I was kind of thinking like okay so she you know, is shutting down a bit in the face of a dog pile, which is understandable. Yeah. Um, but I think you're right. She was certainly not, you know, she was almost absolutely certainly not as silent as she was in the splicing of like, you know, the five minute scene or whatever we actually saw on our TV. Like, yeah. you know, I kind of hate it when people on the shows lean on the statement like, you know, oh, they film us for X amount of hours, but you only see... Yeah. this many minutes on the sh- on the scene but like it's also true yeah and I have to say like that statement that I just made really applies also to the scene in question that we're talking about from yes. last last year where we saw the part of the scene where Sutton says that she doesn't see color and Crystal says oh tell me you're that girl I guess that happens in reverse order yeah. we didn't see hours of what was being said and done and talked about before that even really after that and um I think that is kind of unfairly leaving out some of the context of what was building up um Crystal in that moment in last season too and um I think that you know it's 
it, it sucks because we don't have it in the show to kind of pull on and draw from as evidence for kind of looking at what's going on this season. But just because it didn't air on the show doesn't mean it wasn't even filmed and let alone that it didn't happen. Yeah. Um, what do you think about this idea that that's now going around, which is that like, oh, this pool thing is no big deal. Because I heard the pool, I watched the scene about the pool thing and I immediately was like, I can see why this is a weird fucking thing to say and why I find this to be very problematic. Unsurprisingly, I'm I'm totally on the same page as you. I mean, I understand, like, in fact, I think that I've been really disappointed. I've, I've been trying not to really, like, get too deep into, like, the kind of internet fan reaction to things because um, I wanted to, like, you know, be able to be clear-headed and talk about, like, how I feel about things without being influenced by others. But I've been super disheartened just by, like, a lot of the reaction to Crystal and a lot of the feeling of like, what this is no big deal. Like this is a nice story about like her kids. Like to me, when I first heard it, I was like, that is a longer way of saying I'm not racist. My kids have friends that are like black and Chinese Mm -hmm. and redheaded Irish Catholic. Like I think that there's a lot to unpack about the story, in fact, that is that is pretty problematic. Let's just think about, because Crystal keeps saying, guys, this is the first time I had met this woman. So it's the first weekend that Crystal is spending with this woman. And I, I think what Garcelle is trying to put, uh, say here in this situation is Garcelle's trying to say, you had already made up in your mind that you didn't like Sutton and that you were going to have a conversation about race with Sutton. I think that that is what Garcelle is trying to say when she says, I think you set Sutton up. I think the word that Garcelle is not saying is Sutton was always going to be your storyline, right? Mm -hmm. But it's like Mm -hmm. Sutton also made it very easy to be Crystal's storyline because Sutton Mm -hmm. does weird ass shit. And what Crystal is saying is, no, I didn't set her up. She set herself up. And I think that that's what she should have said. But what she was trying to explain is, this is the first time she's met this woman. She's been kind of kooky and weird and awkward, which is what Diana said also, is I think Sutton is kind of an awkward person and she puts her foot in her mouth often, and we know that. But it's the first time she's met her. She's a super anxious lady. She makes this comment in tears about, I don't want to talk about race because I don't see color. Crystal has then that weird situation with the jacket. And then mm-hmm. she is trying to talk to this woman still and explain to her why saying something like, I don't see color is problematic. And if the response to that from the white woman is, well, I don't see color because my kids yep. have friends of all colors. That is a microaggressive conversation. Like that is 100%. a problem. That is like saying, like you said, I can't be racist. Like Crystal's trying to say it's borderline racist for you to say, I don't see color. It is racist for you to say, I don't see color. Yep. And Sutton's response is, I can't be racist because in my house, everybody is welcome. But that's not how racism works. And we know nope. that. And I think that's why Crystal's trying to say to Garcelle, like, Garcelle, you don't think that that's problematic? Now, that being said, Crystal said on Watch What Happens Live that that is not the actual conversation that she was referencing with Sutton. Yeah. The conversation she had with Sutton was off camera. And that is like, that is the frustrating thing about Beverly Hills is there's always off camera, on camera bullshit that they're moving around. But if we're just going to go based on what we're seeing on TV, there is no question 
that that shit rubbed Crystal the wrong fucking way. And that it's okay for her to say, I was really weirded out and I didn't set her up. She set herself up. I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. And at the same time, I do want to say that people not realizing how that could be, that is a problematic statement That's your journey to go on and figure out why that is problematic. It is not up to people of color, black people, Asian people, whomever, to explain to you. I mean, I explained it, but it's not (laughs) for us to explain to you why it is problematic. And if you still don't think that's problematic, that's your feelings and that's fine. But as a person of color, Except that I could be weirded the fuck out when someone says something like that. And except that Crystal could be weirded the fuck out. Totally. I think like, you know, I, I identify with a lot of what Crystal has shown us, you know, over the last couple of seasons, frankly, like positive and negative. And one thing that I think kind of stood out to me, I I, I believe last season she said that she grew up in a predominantly white area. Yeah. And I did too. And so when I hear, when I heard that story about the kids in the pool, I was like, oh, okay, like here, this is the tokenizing view out of your, that you see out of your window where, you know, you have sprinkled out one of each kind and your kids are benefiting from this diversity. And, you know, it it was a real kind of flashback, frankly, to the way that I grew up where I was a lot of times like, you know, the like diversity that my white friends were benefiting from and it's a really like onerous kind of burdensome feeling like even as a kid and certainly that I've carried into being an adult and often being the only person of color in a room um both professionally and socially and um you know I I don't think it's so crazy to think that Crystal might have been rubbed the wrong way when she hears the story too And, you know, at the end of the day, too, I think there is a lot of, like, there's a lot of criticism I'm hearing, mostly from Kyle right now, like, oh, the dramatic millennial, um, and kind of bringing Crystal's age into this. But I do think there is a generational difference in the way that I talk about race versus my parents' generation, or even, you know, people not that much older than me, um, yeah, people and, I think 10 or 15 years older than us talk about race in a very different yep, way. And it's fine exactly. that you don't understand it. I think what you're bringing up is a really good point of Crystal growing up in a predominantly white area and often feeling like she was tokenized. So when – and I think the other thing that Crystal's trying – probably is not good at talking about – and she keeps crying about it because she's like, I don't want to talk about it because I think that as – As a person of color on these shows, when you choose to be the person who starts to talk about race, it is suddenly your responsibility to teach these white people a thing or two. And it's not just teaching the white people, it's teaching the audience. It's a lot of pressure. And I don't think Crystal wants to be that person. And that's fine if she doesn't want to be that person. That's fine why she doesn't doesn't want to keep talking about it because she's probably afraid she's going to fuck it up. Which, by not talking about it, she's also unfortunately fucking up. But what I think she's also trying to point out, and I think what I heard also from this, like, there's kids of all color in my pool, is just because you have brought these children into your pool doesn't mean that when they're in that pool, racist shit doesn't happen. 
Yes. And that you're basically trying to say the Chinese girl, the redhead Catholic Irish girl, and the black mm-hmm. girl are all having the same experience because they're yep. all welcome at your pool, but they're not. And I think that is what Crystal cannot explain, probably because it's too fucking hard and likely something she doesn't want to deal with. And that's okay if she doesn't want to. What I will say about Crystal, though, is that she is so fucking condescending. <laughs> yes, I, I completely like it's just it, it's um, like I said, I identify with Crystal, the good and the bad. Like yeah. I've had those moments where I've said like something to somebody and then thought to myself, like, wow, why did you say it that way? That was really rude. And I feel the same like kind of deep sense of secondhand embarrassment and like um distaste when crystal does has those kinds of moments including like the the big words thing yes um i think you know like crystal should have also recognized like particularly aiming that at garcelle was pretty ugly yeah um i understand the frustration that she is having that the other women are so hyper focused on the language that she is using not incorrectly in my view yeah um I understand her frustration there, but to kind of like unleash it at that moment was, um, it was gross. It was super duper gross. And I think another thing that somebody pointed out to me, I don't remember who it was, but somebody either messaged us or tweeted us or something like that. One thing we pointed out is Garcelle might be doing this because Crystal last season and this season has had in, um, I like a, it's not a consistent outrage. She's, she's basically mm, yep. done selective outrage on the things that have happened on the show. Certainly the, I don't see color conversation is crazy. A hundred percent. I think that the pool conversation is wild, but yep. when Garcelle is explaining to the group that she has felt left out, Crystal never, then this is last season when Garcelle said, I feel yep. left out. Crystal said, I didn't think that Garcelle felt left out, right? I didn't think that we were leaving you out. And I think that it's possible that Garcelle is now looking at it like, well, you chose to be angry at Sutton and -hmm. you chose to make Sutton that girl. But look Mm -hmm. at the rest of these people at the table. Look at the fact that Dorit had this, like, my my mom has a black friend and my workers are black or brown people. You didn't have a reaction to that. Yep. And I think Kathy very- Hilton says, I really don't see color. Yeah. And I don't, and, and Kathy Hilton, well, Kathy Hilton is also Garcelle's good friend, but yes. I think it's and interesting. Kathy Hilton keeps putting weird shit in her eyes accidentally. Sorry, that was a, <laughs> that was a joke, but like, you know, so who knows that, what she's seeing, but yeah. I think that there is, uh, there's, there is some of that possibly where Garcelle is trying yep. to be like, you had selective outrage against my good friend Sutton and mm-hmm. you're mad that Kyle is having uh, is being hypocritical with how she's te- treating Sutton this year versus how she forced Crystal to forgive Sutton the year before I get that but then also Crystal you do the same fucking shit to everybody else and the entire Beverly Hills show is all about this shit it's all about yeah. the yep. double standard and the hypocrisy but nobody really being able to explain it in a way that makes sense um in a way that is easy to follow and also it doesn't help that the only mo for the rest of the table is always to say i don't get it what's going on i don't understand like they play dumb a lot and it's really yeah totally and i think like you know i think that's really um 
great analysis in terms of just drawing on where things were left last year, particularly between Garcelle and Crystal, um, and bringing it to this year. I think it feels strange in my mind um, because, like, nobody ever really cared about the comments that Sutton made or, frankly, any of the other women um, as they might have affected Crystal or Garcelle or any other person of color, right? Yeah. Like this, all of the conversations have been structured around a fear of cancellation, a fear of being called racist. Yes. And um, to kind of like force this relitigation in this way that is really trying to absolve Sutton of what happened in that conversation from last year um, is frustrating to watch because, you know, the the way that it's being framed now is, you know, Sutton didn't say anything problematic. Sutton didn't do anything problematic. And, you know, she did. And yeah. I think that, that wrapping up the issue of Crystal's poor handling of the situations, both last year and this year, frankly, yeah. um, into that is, I, I think it's making this more complex for me too, um, to just when I think about it. Yeah, it often ends up being the person of color's responsibility to like handhold the white person into explaining to them how and why they were racist or problematic. It puts the onus on people of color to have to do that work. And sometimes, um, not sometimes, all the time, what it really should be is the person of color says this experience was problematic and it's on the white person to explore why or how it could be and ask questions and respond. Whereas currently what's happening is everybody's putting it on Crystal to explain why she was hurt rather than just accepting that we don't understand how hurt she could be because we're not ever going to walk in her shoes. You know, yeah. Garcelle did a great job last year of explaining to Kyle why the not paying thing was problematic for black women. Yep. And Kyle seemed to accept it very easily. For some reason, accepting it this year is not easy. And Kyle also expects Sutton, expects Crystal to get over whatever Sutton did last year and not bringing up, bring it up again. At the same time, Kyle's really, really hung up on the fact that she was there and she knows nothing happened. That's all Kyle is thinking about. All Kyle is thinking about is how now Crystal is accusing Kyle of being there and not caring. And Kyle is actually doubling down on it. But what she's trying to say is, well, I was there and nothing happened. So Crystal is being dramatic. What she doesn't realize is that she still looks like an Oh, I mean, Kyle is like the most well, yeah. unaware person. Right. But it's like Kyle keeps saying, Crystal, you need to explain what happened and you need to clear this up. At the same time, Kyle is saying, but I was there and nothing happened. Well, then yes. if nothing happened, then why do you keep bringing it up? Well, I think, you know, because she's trying to get Crystal into a place where Crystal has to, in Kyle's view, admit that nothing happened. But the problem for that is that Kyle was there when some problematic shit was said. Yes. And Kyle didn't blink. I mean, she kind of made her reaction faces, but only when Crystal started kind of getting wound up about it. Yes. Right? Like, Kyle had nothing to say to Sutton about it. And after all of that happened, Kyle was consoling Sutton. Kyle was yes. never backing Crystal on anything, you know, that we actually did see filmed from that scene. So Kyle is the biggest unreliable narrator when it comes to what did or didn't happen in that scene and, or in, sorry, in that like moment in that night. And um, I think she really thinks that it is 
you know, like an ace chess move on Crystal to say like, well, then explain what happened. But I was there. So I know nothing did. When really, I think like Crystal nailed it when she told her outright, like you probably didn't understand, like it probably wouldn't affect you. It was probably nothing to you because it wouldn't affect you the same way that it would me or somebody else. Exactly. Exactly. I do think it's going to be interesting to see this, this idea now that we have, which is, you know, oh, you have to be outright and you have to tell people mm, what's really mm-hmm. going on um, and you need to use all the words and you need to take people for yeah. the words that they're saying and we need to – dark is such a bad word and we need to be careful about the way that words can be used. Words, words, words. It's going to be interesting if they show us the Aspen footage to know what Kathy Hilton actually said if she really yeah. did use a homophobic slur – Yep. How that is so easily forgiven by Garcelle, who is making a big deal about the word dark. The word dark, which, you know, I have to say, like, I think I use that in a pretty everyday parlance. And I don't mean it as like, you know, somebody has said a slur or yeah. somebody has said something like, you know, like KKK level racist, I guess, yeah. is the, which is what they seem to be imputing onto it. Um, but then again... I also use the word violated and do not have it, you know, and it does not always have a sexual connotation to it. So yeah, exactly. If we're going to harp on Crystal's choice of words, let's see how we react to Kathy Hilton's choice of words and how easily those words are possibly forgiven. Well, I mean, like I would, I would say that words like dangerous and what you're doing is dangerous. And I think that you set her up. I would call those more um, intense. Those are much more accusatory than the word dark in my yes, view. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. All right. Well, <laughs> these women are never going to learn. Let's talk about Dubai. Okay. Ooh, all right. All right. Um, how do you feel about Dubai so far? You know, I, um, I've been experiencing housewife fatigue overall. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that I'm still trying to figure out if, it is going to be an infusion of new life into my viewing experience and perhaps maybe the Bravo viewing experience or like housewives viewing experience overall, or if it's just like another branch going out a little too far and we're all just a little tired and swaying out in the wind (laughs) at this point. Um, I'm still trying to figure it out. I enjoyed the second episode more than the first, I think, because Mm -hmm. it sort of felt more settled. Um, on the other hand, like it feels extremely um, like even just the effects and everything are so produced mm-hmm. um, that I think um, it, it's it's a little too shiny for me at this point, too. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm, well, I think that episode one was very shiny to me. Episode two, I enjoyed more because I felt like we were really like getting to know them more and getting to see them more. And, you know. First season housewives in any city are always going to be more unvarnished yeah. than um, than others, and and I'm excited for that dynamic. And um, so those are my misgivings. I think that the things I love about it are that it is, you know, such a diverse cast in such an interesting way. I find it so compelling to watch, and how like we're just seeing like people's everyday cultures on screen in a way that you know I find so fascinating and fun to watch it's kind of nice to have things set in a different cultural milieu like 
just overall. Um, and some of the women are extremely interesting to me so far and compelling to watch. Yeah. So let's talk about the women. I want to talk right away about Sarah Almadani because last episode, Arthi and I were gushing the fuck over her. Okay. Yeah. And if you watch her on this television show, you would continue to gush the yep. fuck over her. She's yep. wonderful. She's at home with her super cute kid, Makhdoum. She's trying to sit, sitting on the floor, eating rice with your hands. I mean, hello. That's I my know, love talking language. About, right talking about, about toxic masculinity yeah. and like, you know, and like preserving your culture and passing it on to your children. 100% with her. Loving it. Yep. Loving yep. it. Yep. Loving her. Now, just from the television show, from what I've watched on the episode, things that did raise my eyebrows were her saying casually things like, I'm a certified life coach, as if that means anything. <laughs> and then also saying, uh, you should try my hypnotherapy. Again, no, this is not how mental health works. Um, yeah. I was, again, just on uh, Ono Chelsea's Patreon, and she is an actual therapist. And she has said, I spent so much money in so much school to be able to yeah. deal with patients who have real triggers and real trauma, that this girl who calls herself a doctor on Instagram, but doesn't actually have any education to align with this doctor title, calling herself a life coach and then prescribing hypnotherapy to somebody who has real trauma, very sad trauma is yeah. fucking crazy. It's, but <laughs> add the cherry on top of that is that right after last week's episode, I went on her Instagram and then I po posted this on our Instagram and I didn't, uh, I don't know if you missed it, but Sarah Madani has an entire post of herself wearing a t-shirt in big black letters that says Johnny Depp is innocent. And however you feel about that crazy fucked up situation, yeah. I don't care who you are. There is no doubt. And it's been tried and it's yes. true that Johnny yes. Depp abused his fucking wife. Okay. Yep. I don't care what you think about Amber, Amber Heard. I don't care what you think about the actual trial itself, but the man is paying her two million fucking dollars because he was actually it was actually true that he did abuse her, and he was a, he was actually found guilty of it in the UK. So, no, Sarah Johnny Depp is not innocent, but it is interesting that Sarah would have that stance and then come on camera and talk about how essentially her picker is off, and she loves to date and be with. <laughs> problematic men who yes. need to be fixed. I, I had the same reaction. I don't want to get too deep into I, I actually don't even want to get too no. shallowly into the yeah. Depp and Heard thing. I guess like for the benefit of your audience, I'm a lawyer and um, I think that following this from a legal standpoint has been um, both from a legal standpoint and the standpoint as a human and the standpoint as a woman there's been a lot of like dimensions and things to take in. And even just like, um, you know, the it's, it's wearing a t-shirt that says something like Johnny Depp is innocent is also not only um, boiling this down in a very strange way, but it's also obscuring the actual like issues that are going on here. Right. There's never been any criminal, um, uh, issue that has, you know, has been at the center of these things. It has to do with, um, you know, defamation and whether or not allegations um, 
that have been made about abuse are true or not. And um, I think that it's playing on like, you know, wearing a shirt like that is playing on um, audience reaction. And I think she just wants, she wants to be on the cool side of the internet. And um, I think that it's just for me showing how so much of what she's saying and doing is persona. And um, it, it really, for me, affected how I viewed her this episode too, because it really showed me like, okay, she's, she's all about the image here and this is all part of it. She's curating an image of the cool, you know, rebellious, the cool, rebellious, feminist, Muslim kind of view. And it's, um, it's hard to watch. It is very hard to watch. Stunning. Stunning. I will say, Sarah, if you're listening, she's not. Um, you're going to need to tone it down with the lip filler, honey. I get it. You were on <sighs> yeah. camera for the first time. You are very excited. But with makeup, you look great. Without makeup, we're going full quack quack. So you're just going to yeah. need to tone that down. How do you feel about Caroline Stanberry? So I thought she was like a lovable villain on Ladies of London, which in <laughs> fairness, I haven't rewatched in a few years. Like I, I loved it when it was on. I loved it afterwards. I still love it in the, you know, in the ether. But um, even then, like, I mean, she was, she had a persona, she had like a position and um, it was the perfect one for her. It's yes. not translating well on this show. No, I think she's not because she's not a villain. She's not. a Well, interesting. I mean, well, she's not a villain, but she, I think by the end of the season, the audience is not going to really feel the same way about her as they did when they heard that the show was starting. Yeah. Um, I think she's trying, she is right now resting on a place of, I brought this show together. I made this happen. Like Bravo is here because of me. I am the star. I am the center gold pile. What are they holding? Yes. Gold pile. Gold coins. Yes. I'm, I'm the center gold coin of, of the show. Um, and you know, I I am the one that people are going to be clamoring to be friends with and that's what they're doing. Right. Like that Mm -hmm. is what, what is happening on the show right now. Like there's a, there's clearly a competition amongst the other cast members of who is actually Caroline Stanbury's bestie. Um, who's, who really liked her the whole time, who criticized her before and just trying to get in with, get in with her now. But I think the problem is, um, and I'm we'll we'll go through chronologically in the episode. But throughout this episode, the feeling that I came away with was Caroline is blending into the background of the show because Chanel is stealing every damn scene that she is in. The audience is going to, and I think already is be absolutely obsessed with her yes and she's totally a villain she's like it but like she is going to run away as the person that everybody is talking about and caroline is going to be so mad and fuming to catch up um over the course of the season that's my that's my prediction so yeah um, I think yeah. those are I think that's great. I think I agree with that completely. Um, what's really sad about Caroline, it's sad it cracked me up, is that when 
uh, Caroline Brooks and Sarah come over to her house, it made me cringe. Caroline shares with them her home, goods, her home goods coffee cup collection. I said, what in the Gina from OC is this, honey? Like, she's like, look, it says dead, not divorced. I was like, did you get that on Etsy? What is this? Like, are you serious that like your entire shtick is your smoothies and your cups with words on them? You might as well be an Instagram influencer from like small town Michigan who like sells MLMs. <laughs> like you might as well be Lululemon, uh, whatever that those leggings were that there was the. Oh, yeah. Oh, what was oh, the leggings? Uh uh LuLaRoe. Lula yeah, you might as yeah. well be selling me LuLaRoe, Caroline Stanberry. What the fuck is this? Well, and that the interesting thing too is like really like that was that was exactly the scene where I was like, "Oh, Caroline does not realize cuz this is spliced with like, you know, uh Chanel coming in with like the most absurd over the top incredible outfits to just like a, a casual lunch right <laughs> like it's it's caroline is in that scene um talking entirely about herself and all of it is tinged with social climbing um yes. and 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 maybe not social maybe social climbing isn't the right word but it's like tinged with like grappling for social stature which i yes. guess is a little bit different than social climbing and you know talking about like the house that they're going to build and how it's so expensive, but like how it's so like, you know, she's worked so hard to, to get to this point. And um, I, I felt like every scene with her, this episode kind of had that aspect to it. And she was very um, like extremely self-involved, you know, as many housewives are, but to the extent that I think she is going to miss some of the dynamics that are developing amongst the cast um, without her as the center of attention and she's going to get left behind in a lot of scenes because of it. Yeah, I think that you're absolutely right. L Ladies of London was centered around Caroline being that girl and everybody loving her and wanting her to be the yep. wanting to be her friend. And I think she's counting on that again. And it, it's like you said, it is kind of happening because everybody is kind of scrambling to be up her ass. I mean, Nina yep. is scrambling to be up her ass. <laughs> yeah, you know, but I think that what they what she doesn't realize is that Lisa and Caroline Brooks is definitely trying to climb up Caroline yes. Stanberry's ass. But like Lisa and Chanel aren't really that interested. And yep. Sarah Elmadani is an Amarati woman who has her own standing in the world. And yep. Nina Ali, like I didn't I never followed her, but all of my friends, all of my Muslim friends have been following this girl for like eight years on, on social media. She had um, a yeah, she had an Instagram account called Lipstick Mommy, and she was like one of those fabulous Middle East like mommy bloggers in like I want to say like nine years ago when she first had her first kid. And yeah. so people have these all these women have existing places in the world that Caroline Stanberry is trying to build around her. And I think that she is, you're absolutely right that she's missing the opportunity to actually get into the mix because she's relying on her just having to exist because right. she's, she's relying on being the tent pole and like everybody like, you know, scurrying around her. But I kind of think, and I, I don't mean to reduce like the women in the cast other than Chanel into like scurrying around, but I, I, I don't see necessarily any of the others 
like becoming as strong of a counterweight. And I just foresee next season, you know, when, you know, there's just, we've seen how everything plays out and the audience has kind of picked its favorites. Um, I just foresee a lot of allegiance shifting in the early episodes of, of next season. And I think that uh, I just see Caroline Stanbury being taken by surprise at how it shakes out. And that's part of the risk of having this first season be centered around her wedding, because she's not going to get out of that tentpole mentality at any point this season. No, not at all. I also think that Ladies of London is a different show than Real Housewives. I think that's the other thing that Caroline is missing is that Ladies of London was a, it was a similar show, but it was very different because these were women who existed in society in London. Like it was about London society and the women that were within it, but it wasn't necessarily that much about their um, like relationships with each other. Real Housewives is a very different show because Real Housewives are women who want to be famous on a television show. It's a very different thirsty Hunger Games situation. And if you don't work for your place on the television show, you can easily, like you said, get lost in the background. And like, you're absolutely right. She has no idea. She's like going to the mall. Okay. The scene that she goes to the mall and rides that like little um, mall car, she feels ridiculous. Sergio, (laughs) who to me will always, I can't unsee it. He looks like Joseph Wakili to me. He's Kathy Wakili's son. I'm sorry, guys. But that's what, and he's like the same age as him. So I just only see little Joseph Wakili, and I just think he's so fucking thirsty for the camera. But there's the scene where they- Way too comfortable. Way too comfortable. Way too comfortable. They go to the mall, and she's trying on all this, like, fabulous jewelry. She puts on this $5.6 million necklace, and then she looks at Sergio, and she goes, honey, baby, don't cry. It's okay. And then she's like, look, I've married this, like, super sensitive guy. I can't believe I married him. Like, he's so sweet, whatever. And I wanted to be like, Caroline, he's not crying because he loves you. He's crying because he's never been around $5.6 million worth of diamonds, and he's crying happy tears that he could even have access to something like that. Yes, I, I, I'm very curious to see how their relationship plays out further over the course of the season. And even just judging from sort of like the the little tidbits we get from the other women's reaction to it, I'm really interested to see how that comes up. I'm not really like super interested in like potential like talk about a sexuality if that is. Indeed no, coming. I don't like, like that. I, I don't want that. Um, mm. But like he's for me, like the scale of like how comfortable a spouse or significant other feels in front of the camera, whether it's like Robert from summer house who like, especially in his like first appearances last year, like wanted to crawl out of his skin versus like the other end of the spectrum for me would be like Joe Gorga. Um, The Sieber Gorga spectrum uh, (laughs) as if you will. Um, It's really important for me, like where significant others fall on that spectrum and um i i have to say that sergio is like certainly aiming for gorga um yes and and i don't say many nice things about joe joe gorga in my in my life um but sergio is not going to be able to pull it off the way that joe gorga can 
No, not at all. I mean, we've seen some of the other husbands on this show and they're great. We see yep. Manaf, who is Nina Ali's husband. We meet yep. Chris, who is Chanel's husband. And we meet Rich, who's Lisa's husband. And they're great. It was a great example of men showing up, eating their food, complimenting their wives and shutting the fuck up. That's what we yeah, want. Yeah, looking for the goat, talking about the goat. Well, not the goat. <laughs> but, you know, like I, I, I really enjoyed the like dipping in of you know, participating, but then also like completely leaving like the rest of the gossip and everything up to everybody else. Not showing up at the bachelorette party, for example. Yeah. Um, I think the other, like, just like before we really get back to the rest of the episode and just in the, to end the Caroline Stanbury analysis, I think that Caroline is not appreciating that exactly as you said, ladies of London was different from housewives and she's not really getting that difference. I think that she's also not grasping how Housewives itself has evolved since the time that Ladies of London was on the air. Yes, um, absolutely. The way that we view and we expect Housewives to be, um, I'm saying that both as like how we expect the Housewives on the show and also the way that we expect the show to be, um, has really changed over the last, you know, seven years or whatever. Um, and I think that the um, the very rigid, like, I can't stand her, I'm not going to have her around attitude that Caroline has towards Chanel was much more prevalent earlier and yeah. not something that's really, it doesn't work now. Um, you know, exactly. people immediately think of, uh, you know, Lisa Vanderpump being iced, like icing herself out or just, you know, it doesn't. It doesn't work. People don't like it when you try to ice somebody out like that. Yeah, because it's all about filming. That's what we're talking about here. We're talking about Caroline Stanberry trying to get cameras to not film Chanel Ayan. And that's that's annoying and nobody likes that. And that doesn't work anymore, Caroline. Um, now, they do these two Thanksgivings. And it also reminded me of Ladies of London, which also had a two Thanksgiving storyline, I think, on their second season. Nina talks this whole thing up about like, I, you know, Thanksgiving was my favorite holiday. I love Thanksgiving. I always have to do it, blah, blah, blah. And then proceeds to have the most unrealistic fucking Thanksgiving ever in a Ferris wheel in the sky. And it is so obvious to me that between Nina and Sarah, they are working hard for like the Dubai uh, tourism board. Yes. Oh my God. I had the same thought. They keep bringing their children into high places and their kids are always fucking terrified because their kids are like, we don't do this. But like, I don't know why we're eating in the sky. Right. And the the way that they are just like the particular descriptions of the city or sort of like, like are feel very like tourism board heavy too, where it's like, here's the old Dubai. Here's the new Dubai. Like it's very... Um, you know, which could be a natural way of speaking about it. But to me, at least those conversations didn't come off that way. It came off exactly as you said, as like, okay, here's how we're getting some of the government sign off here, because, you know, we're getting some editorial control in from um, the way that these descriptions are being, you know, given and the way that they're being managed through these these people, too. Yeah, I also think that as the the two Arab women on the cast, they probably feel a lot of pressure to make sure that they are talking about their 
Oh, I mean, even absolutely. though she's not from, Le- she's Lebanese, but for them to be able to represent the Middle East in a way that is positive, and I think yep. that that's what they're trying to do, but it comes off really phony. I'm glad yep. that we got to see Sarah at home with her kid and like just like in loungewear. I think it was nice, but like Nina hasn't shown us that yet. Nina hosted a, an event at the you know, looking at the Burj, talking about the Burj, going to the frame, thinking about the Burj and all of that. But we need to- name dropping the Burj, by the way, that was part of what I was thinking about is, is like, you know, the amount of times it comes up casually, quote unquote, is, is very sus to me. Yeah. People that live in Dubai don't talk about it that way. And I only know that because I have family that lives in Dubai and they don't talk about it that yep. way. Now, Lisa's Thanksgiving was my kind of Thanksgiving. She yes. Oh home. my God. She's yes. Cooking a home cooked meal. She obviously she has help, but she's making all the food herself. Lisa is just so stunning. So stunning to look at. I could just Absolutely watch her do. Absolutely stunning. I, do I completely agree. All day. Lisa makes a home cooked meal. She invites Chanel Ayan and her family over and Chanel and her family casually bring a baby goat in the trunk of like a really nice Tesla. And it, it just it cracked me up because she's like it's a Kenyan gift offering we give it for weddings we give it when something big happens we always gift a goat and then Lisa's like yeah well we curry the goat we eat the goat and Chanel is like shocked by it and I was like Chanel what do you think happens to the goat well, after they I get was it? gonna that's say like things. what do they do with the goat in Kenya because I'm <laughs> I know it's not just a pet and that, but that's like that's what makes the gift so great, right? You get you get milk, you get meat, you get all kinds of stuff from a goat. It's, you know, that's the point. <laughs> that's the point of the goat. It's there for consumption. <laughs> but I I actually really love the fact that Lisa. I really like Lisa because Lisa to me is um, she's the only one who is going to ride hard for Chanel Ayan, and I love yep. that. I love me that. too. I love that and she's it's not, not glamored either, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, like you understand why because when they have that dynamic to like their dynamic together was like fun. Like they yes. talk to each other like real friends do, and it was both like you know silly and funny and like really involving, like showing us their families and how they get along together. But also yeah. like then they're having the conversations about the girls. Like that's those are my favorite friend dynamics on Housewives. Yes. And I know that they were having a very real situation because when the goat falls into the pool, Chris, <laughs> Chanel Ayan's husband is like, hey, Taj, can you just get the goat out of the pool? And he's like, yeah, I got it. Like, it's just so casual. It's like, <laughs> it was so silly. It you know, it is funny too. So hard. Like when I saw the, like after like the kind of after the conversation of like, oh my God, you brought this goat and they put the goat down and the goat's just wandering. My first thought was the goat's going to go in the pool. And the fact that it actually happened like two minutes later on the show, I was like, huh, well, all right. At least my goat predictions are good. Um, I, it, I have to say also this scene for me stood out in contrast to the scene where Caroline had the women over to her house too, where yes. the conversations were very, um, Caroline focused and yes. Caroline was either talking about herself or then um, talking about Chanel Ion and like getting, you know, and, and, um, and, and having a more, you know, housewives in depth conversation about each other. But the thing that was missing 
was sort of that same sense of authenticity of giving us like a good view of what like Caroline's life actually is like seeing the women actually like interact with each other on a more personal friendship level with some level of warmth and um, you know, showing us the connections that they already have with each other that predate the cameras showing up. And um, I I thought it was, you know, it was nice to see that coming out in this Thanksgiving scene later. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I like the fact that these two have a genuine relationship with each other. And even, even between Lisa and Caroline Brooks, it cracked me up that Caroline, Yes. You have one confessional of Caroline Brooks talking (laughs) about how she really vibes with Lisa because Caroline Brooks's mom is Jamaican. And then the cut to very next scene, Lisa is like, Caroline Brooks is a new person every single time I meet her. Like, no, I, that is like chef's kiss. That means everybody is clocking into work. And I really, really, yes, I, yes, I love that. I love that so much. And to me, that is like a real, that's real relationships. That is real friendship. You do have situations where everybody's close to each other and everybody's friends. But if somebody invites you to talk shit about another person, if you're about to do it, that means that like you're an actual real person. You know what I mean? I do feel Abs- like, yes. I do feel like for the rest of them with Nina and with Caroline and even with Sarah, there's just a different agenda for their being on the show and a a different viewpoint of being on the show. Like Nina even trying to convince Chanel to have a conversation with Caroline Stanberry and get to know her because Nina also thought poorly about Stanberry and now she doesn't see it that way, whatever. Ayanna's not interested because I think as far as she's concerned, I don't need to make new friends to be on this television show. I'm a badass and bitch. And she was right. <laughs> I'm a badass bitch, period, motherfucking dot. I'm so sexy. I look so good. Designers <laughs> dress me from head to toe. I bring amazing gifts to people's houses. And I have enough of a compelling storyline of my childhood, of my horrible father. I've got it all. I've got it all. And I don't And need- like a 20-year marriage. By the and way. a twenty-year okay. There's so much shit. I think Caroline Stanberry basically went on social media to drag. Oh yeah, Chanel Ayan's marriage. And I love the fact that right on the second episode, she's like, "Here's pictures of me and my husband in our fucking twenties yeah, in 1999. We were teeny babies when we like, were little kids. Like, yeah, come on. Well, at first, I was like, oh, because she said that she met him when she was right out of high school, and I was like, oh, uh oh. Yeah. And then you know, we saw the picture of them, and I was like, okay, look, there's, there's, I'm sure there's an age gap, but it doesn't. It's not like it was a 20 year age gap, or exactly. maybe it was, and he looked extremely young um, for his it, age. But yeah. they seem, you know, it, it seems like a solid relationship. Um, you know, knock on wood, it's housewives. Who knows? Um, but I I thought it was the best kind of backing of Ion to have that little, uh, Instagram snit go down and then have this kind of be the showing of her relationship that's actually on the show. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, well, exactly for the reasons that you just said, I, I, I think that's why I, I think next season, some of the, you know, Caroline Brooks, Sarah, Nina are probably going to be um, switching their allegiances around once they kind of see where the winds are taking things. Because, you know, exactly like you said, they just don't have that. They're not on the show for the same reason. And they're going to go wherever the wind blows. Yes. So currently on social media, it looks like Lisa is also turning on Nina 
And Ooh. yeah, and Sarah and Caroline are really Sarah and Caroline Stanberry are really trying to like be there for Nina Ali. But Lisa, I think, went on Twitter and was like, Don't drag me into this. I'm the one that got you on the show, Nina. So like don't start with me, which I love. I love when that shit oh. is thrown in anyone's face. Me too. The most perfect line I've ever heard on reality TV was uttered this week. When- I think I know exactly what it is. When Chanel Lyon talks about Thanksgiving and says, it's a very weird holiday. I'm from Africa. We had a lot of colonizers and I don't want to talk about it. I hollered. I literally (laughs) hooted from like the position that I was in when I was just like, that's it. I think I love her. Like I just, I have absolute I would say top three for me lines that I've heard on Housewives. I can't think of one I like better at the moment. A close second on this episode was when she comes to Sarah's house, bringing a tagine of onions and says, Sarah, (laughs) I brought you onions because you have layers. What? (laughs) Were you just watching Shrek? Like, where did that come from? But you know what? If every single episode she shows up at someone's house with a gift (laughs) that is very unique and requires explanation, I'm in. Do it. Like, frankly, more thought went into those onions than any bottle of like sparkling rose that's given out on any other housewife show that we've seen ever, period. Ever, period. I, there was like, and that's the thing. I think people, I get why sometimes people are a little weary about somebody who comes into a reality TV show, especially housewives, like somebody like say a Jen Shaw who comes mm-hmm. in pre-produced knows what she wants to be. But what mm-hmm. I love about Chanel Ayan is that while she is definitely reality TV gold and she's definitely done a little bit of like studying what reality TV looks like, her idea of what she should be doing on camera is a fucking wild card. And I yes. love that about her. She is not like anybody else on TV right now. Yeah, she says things like period and all of that, but she follows it up with dot, which is so funny. <laughs> yeah. It's like, and you know, it's not like it's not like a Dorit, like I've lived all around the world. Here is my um, you know, a uh, totally mishmashed, like quote unquote accent, um, yes. which is largely put on um yes. in a lot of ways. Like, you know, we have somebody who is, like, really displaying their, um, you know, kind of international cred. Frankly, all of them on the show, I think, are doing that pretty well. Um, And somebody who, you know, is talking about her journey in a really compelling way. I I think it was a massive red flag when she said ahead of the show, like, you know, they all did that, like, top whatever housewives that they liked best, right? And she listed Jen Shaw as one of hers. But honestly kind of take some balls and I kind of love that too like yeah. to compare yourself to a Jen Shaw is that's a choice and I kind of respect it yeah I think I think that and apparently I didn't get to watch it but she was on watch what happens live and apparently she oh I didn't get show. to watch it either that's so, what I heard too so apparently she was fantastic on live camera like right so I I think that there's so much there's so much to explore and so much more to learn from her that is unique and I think that what was frustrating when Real Housewives of Salt Lake City started, because people are doing a lot of comparisons of like, oh, new new Housewives yep. cities, we've been burned by Salt Lake City, whatever. What was annoying about Salt Lake City was that we weren't necessarily getting anything 
that refreshing. The reason why Mary Cosby was such an interesting person is because she was another wild card that we we had never seen anybody like that on TV. But everybody else on Salt Lake City was a you know a production of some sort of amalgamation of years of twenty years of watching reality TV. What yep. I find interesting about the Real Housewives of Dubai is that you have a location that has not been explored, you have a culture that has not been explored, and you have people who aren't just coming on camera to be wealthy and become famous. You are people. You have people on camera who have, you know, almost like. I don't know if they necessarily need to get famous on camera because they already have so much fucking wealth that mm-hmm. they might be fine even if they weren't. Like all these people are already have huge social media followings. They already are famous internationally. They already have existing, you know, viewership or whatever. I think that there's just something really refreshing about every single person's story because we've never seen a story like these before. I think that's a wonderful way of putting it. I think also just like the dimensions of fame are going to look very different to them because as you said, like they already have some level of, you know, fame or notoriety or like they're a known quantity in their own space. And any additional fame that they get from this is going to basically just exist online, right? Because, you know, you're going to have very few people who are traveling to Dubai to like you know, the same way that we have people who like go do like LVP restaurant tours Mm -hmm. kind of in LA or who like go try to see, you know, Sonia's townhouse in New York. You're not going to have the same kind of like, I ran into, um, you know, I, I lived in New York for quite a while and I have run into numerous people from Bravo shows just like on the street. That's yeah. not going to happen the same way for this cast. And so I think while that may make them like maybe a little more online than some of the others might be, I can see that maybe being part of, um, you know, maybe part of the reaction that happens here because it's a way for them to interact with the fan space um, in a different way. I think that they're also maybe, I don't want to say this too, you know, I want to say this carefully. I think that they may also be able to keep some distance from it because yes. of that. Yeah. Um, because they're not going to have people in their face the same way, you know, that like Luann does when she does anything in the U.S. Yeah, exactly. And I also just love that when we watch Real Houses of Beverly Hills and then Real Houses of Dubai back to back, that it makes the Beverly Hills women look poor. I know. I was thinking the same thing. This, I mean, especially talking about like Erica, right? Like. You know, but not only poor, it makes them look ignorant. Um, yes. And very like, like their world is extremely small, which we we know. And they kind of acknowledge to some extent by like talking about how small of a town Beverly Hills is and all of that stuff. Constantly. But it really like it really shrunk them down, I think. Yeah, it really did. I mean, it. if the wealthiest person on Beverly Hills is Diana Jenkins, who does all that glam and looks like a divorcee at a Chico's outlet, I'm not sure how much wealth they're really bringing, you know, anymore. That was yeah. more exciting. That was really exciting when Beverly Hills had like a Villa Rosa and we had like all of this, you know, extravagant shit with Erica Jane and all that stuff. Yep. But you Beverly had Adrian Hills- Maloof clip clopping across the street from one mansion Man- to Lisa Vanderpump's other mansion. Like, you know, it was that was a different time. 
That was a different time, but we're looking at now them looking kind of poor next to the real houses of Dubai where you yeah. have $12,000 pool ice and yeah. um, gifted goats. And frankly, like, you know, staff working for them in a capacity on a different level. Yes, exactly. And I don't know if we're going to talk about how that staff is I, compensated. I, I was thinking the same thing. I was like, ooh, can of worms. Um, speaking of worms that may be dead in the can. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, it's certainly something that is uh, noticeable. Yes, exactly. Well, that's it for this episode. Maya, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Was it was so such delightful. a delight. Oh, my <laughs> God. We said the same Really exactly. lovely. Oh God, I I still find our houses at Beverly Hills very exhausting to watch, and and despite the fact that we talked about it for an hour, very exhausting to talk about. But you've made that hour of discussing it very very um, easy and fun. Oh, I it's I, not I, fun. It's not fun, but you know, I think that like, it was fun. It was enjoyable. I enjoyed I enjoyed our conversation so much more than I enjoyed watching it. <laughs> yeah. And um, the thing is, like. You know, as much as I'm sort of, like I said, like feeling this housewife fatigue and kind of feeling like I need to tap out a little bit from actually watching, one thing that I have yet to feel fatigue and to take a break from is, you know, listening to podcasts like yours, like where you put it in a way that like makes me, um, it validates my feelings of frustration. Um, It makes things a little bit like, you know, the analytical aspect of taking things in and, and really like like discussing things as a viewer sees them, um, I think um, is what is sustaining me right now in, um, I think a a Bravo world that is really in flux right now. Um, You know, I'm curious to see what things look like on the network in the next couple of years. And um, even if I don't watch another Beverly Hills episode for another few weeks, I will certainly be following along with what you tell me about them. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you so much. That, that, that makes all of this worth it. Thank you. That really means the world.